Alright, alright. And we are back. So welcome to 33rd episode of the Drop Pass podcast. All-Star Weekend is now done and dusted, and the Super Bowl is just a few hours away. And even better, Easy versus Whitaker showdown is going down this night. And the Champions League is going to be in full action already next week. So we, as sports fans, don't have too much to complain about at this point. Last week, we had NHL's early trade bait candidates on the table, and we also covered all the most necessary transfers from the January transfer window. This week, though, we will continue with the football trend and precisely European football scene, since we are going to take a look at the round of 16 matchups in the Champions League and also cover the three most essential fights from the UFC 271 fight card while discussing few of the hottest topics around the NHL from the past week. In addition, I got good news for all you who have been asking for more guests since currently it's looking like we are going to have few very exciting names in the podcast very soon, so go follow the podcast account on Instagram, the drop underscore pass, to get early notifications for our upcoming visitors. I'm going to keep it under the wraps for a little bit longer, but how the things are evolving, we will have a good setting of guests for the spring episodes. But now though, we will get the intro music rolling and get right into our today's episode. So without further ado, let's get going. And we are underway and first off we are going to tackle the most recent NHL headlines out of the way before we move away from the icy surface. The big one for us Finns this week was the official retirement announcement from Tuukka Rask and even though I had hyped up his return to Boston seemingly his body wasn't 100% and he had said that if he didn't feel like he was going to help the team win games with his play He wasn't going to be there for long, and to me that's quite a novel way to bow out. Since he tried to make his comeback, but decided that it was going to be for the better if he enabled the team to run with their current combo and trust the process, since his injury hadn't completely healed. I think that it isn't a bold statement to say that he's the best NHL goaltender we've ever seen coming out of Finland. And I understand if you want to back up Rinne or Keeper, but when you see his credentials compared to those two guys, one Jennings, one Vesna, and to top it off, one small cup to go along, there's no denying that this guy was the real deal. He's gone under the radar for many, but I think that Bruins fans will miss him until their next big goaltender pops up. Is that Swayman? We have to wait and see, but quite frankly, he never really got the recognition in the NHL he deserved. Or at least, now looking back at it, I feel like that was the case. Unbelievable career, and if you ask me, should get his number raised to the rafters of TD Garden. Since he spent his entire career there, and was for many, many years their backbone in net for over a decade. I tip my cap for his career and wish him well-deserved retirement days wherever he ends up settling. But while we're talking about the bees, 
I must quote one of the greatest hip-hop artists ever, Eminem, who would ask the question, guess who's back? And you already know the right answer. Mm-hmm. Brad Marchand is back. And if my sources are correct, he became the most suspended player of the modern era, and not by games, but by times he has been suspended since... Few nights ago, he punched Penguins goaltender Tristan Jerry in the face after the whistle and poked him in his mask afterwards and received a nice six-game sussy for those actions. So, you could say that it took long enough for things to finally escalate. The fuck you match between these two went through the entire night until Margie decided that it was time to give Jerry a soft knuckle sandwich for his antics. And so... He decided to rough up some feathers, but Jerry wasn't really having it and turtled pretty fast once the vocal warfare became more physical. And I mean, he had a decent point in his comment where he said that there was no real intention of injuring Jerry, unlike in many other cases which result in suspensions like boarding calls and charging penalties. And this study was pretty much based on his previous history, which I also get. And for example, same week Marcus Foligno got suspended for kneeing Adam Lowry to the head while he was down, so one could argue that the kneeing incident should have gotten more attention, but since Marchand had already previous track record, it was an easy decision to lay down the pipe without too much consideration. Very different incidents, and so were the outcomes, and you can go either way with this one, but I can guarantee you that this certainly wasn't from the worst end of his tricks. But still, George Paris had decided to end the bullshittery by taking a stance to ensure that this wasn't going to fly for any longer, and I respect that decision, but come on, man. You saw the replay of Folino's incident, and you tell me that it's all good and dandy, and small slap in the wrist is going to prevent this from happening ever again. As far as I'm concerned, that's just a week-long break for him, so I don't think that's going to matter too much, but you're the expert. Like, when it comes to actual dirty plays, clear boarding, kneeing, hitting from behind penalties, etc., where there is a real chance of injuring a player, I'm more than down to handing out bigger punishments for those penalties, since currently, while the hitting has decreased to some extent, at least on the open ice, these major penalties have stayed pretty much the same when it comes to the amount per season, but still those are judged with silk gloves, and one to three games is enough while the receiver might struggle with concussion injuries even months after the actual incident. And I know that there certainly is some kind of methodology, but if you handed out six to eight game suspensions based on severity related to injuries, type and aim, I think many players would consider twice about hitting opposing players to the numbers or trying to hit a player on the open ice, which results in knee-on-knee -knee contact. And I also get the point of view where players might even become too careful and avoid body contact, but I just don't really see that happening since the sport is so fast that we can't just get rid of it, or we need to change the ring size to way bigger ice surface, and quite frankly, that's not the way to make the sport more entertaining. Quite contrary. You can always watch Bandy if you enjoy that kind of skating displays without any contact, but as I said, 
I pretty much stated my POV for this subject. So I would be very interested to hear yours as well. And if you think that the Red Brad got what he deserved. But moving along, we also heard some interesting news from Canada since both Montreal and Edmonton booted out their head coaches, Dominique Dujarme and Dave Tippett this week. And as I had thought, Edmonton wasn't done with their moves. And you might need to prepare yourself for the remainder of the spring since there might be something still boiling underneath the surface with the way they've been acting as of late. They hired Jay Woodcroft as their new head coach, who had previously served as a head coach for their farm team Bakersfield Condors, and he will become Edmonton's 10th coach in the past 13 years. Just think about that. It will be very interesting to see what kind of an impact he is able to make in a locker room full of major stars and big characters. In Montreal, the groove is completely different, where the team is in full tank mode, and despite that, their new GM, Kent Hughes, decided to change the team's course by firing their head coach, Dominique Dujarme, and appointed Hockey Hall of Famer Martin Saint-Louis as their new head coach. Canadian's owner, Jeff Molson, had previously stated that Dujarme would serve as their head coach until the end of the season, but newly appointed GM Hughes had other plans and wanted to start guiding the team towards their new direction under their new head coach before the season was over. The team is on the brink of a rebuild, so I fully understand the point he wants to make. And to me, it was a smart decision to start rebuilding the team back up again under the new leadership well before the next season, even if it wouldn't pay huge dividends already this season. We won't expect big changes when it comes to their results, but I can guarantee you that St. Louis will bring in a fresh breeze of air after many well-known and experienced head coaches that the Canadians have been rotating in their organization throughout the past few years. St. Louis will also bring his huge presence and a fearless approach in their locker room alongside new playstyle he is going to implement to their game, which should benefit younger guys like Cole Caulfield, Sean Farrell, who by the way is looking like a steal and has already impressed in the Olympics, and even eternal prospect Jonathan Drouin. I'm very excited for their future since they are most certainly going to get good returns from few of their players on the deadline, and if all goes well, they are going to end up in the top three in this year's draft, which has without a doubt highly touted prospects on the board. So the best possible outcome would be the number one coupon for the draft and ensure organization's next number one center for years to come. They already have 11 draft picks in this year's draft, one first and second rounder and three thirds, but by the looks of it, they will end up with at least one more first rounder or in the worst case, I would say three second rounders. So with those, you could add even more value for the future while already having quite deep prospect pool as it is. And after those two changes, I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw at least one or two coaching changes before the season is over since, for example, New Jersey's head coach Lindy Roth seems to be strapping himself up 
to the ejection seat in Newark and the team overall could benefit from a facelift after another season where the expectations were much higher than their performances have been so far. Chicago is also looking for their new GM, but their recent headlines might make that hunt that much harder since the old boys club seems to have more skeletons in their closets than we had ever imagined. So kudos to him slash her who is willing to take the wheel and drive through the siege storm which has broken out in the windy city. When it comes to the All-Star Weekend, all I really gotta say is that it was as mediocre as I had expected. But luckily, the invitee Trevor Zegers put on an absolute show for the fans with his beautiful stick handling moves. I mean, that guy is the Davis plane of the NHL. And I don't care how much hate the guy receives from this. You gotta admit that you've never seen this type of guy before who loves the game and is willing to break boundaries when it comes to modern NHL. Absolute wizard with the puck and I have to admit that even though the two extra events, the Fountain Faceoff and the 21 in 22 were not actual on ice events, I appreciate the fact that they were willing to figure out new competitions to keep things fresh while we had the basic fastest skater hardest shot and accuracy shot competitions and I don't even need to say anything about the games since most of the entertainment is presented during the first day so the only way to make the game more entertaining would be to run every player through a breathalyzer test and multiply goals by the percentages of each player. Until they drag all the best players to the event I won't care too much about it and I feel like many other fans feel the same way, so either start to figure out ways to refresh the event or just keep things as they are, which for certainly won't lure in too many new fans from other sports. And if I've understood correctly, this is supposed to be a major marketing weekend for the NHL, but I'm not sure what they are looking for with their current marketing efforts. A free weekend for many guys in the league, but when it comes to fans and entertainment value, it doesn't provide too much added value for the ordinary mid-season grind schedule. Do what you want NHL, but at least I would advise you to look into it and think if this is the way to execute the event when compared to other major sports, the NFL and the NBA. And oh yeah, as the last note, Jean Couturier will miss the remainder of the season because of a back surgery he underwent this week, so another huge L for the Flyers if the team wasn't already in total shambles. But that's pretty much all I had on the NHL front, so next we will move on to UFC 271 event and check out the three most anticipated fights on that card, starting off with the last main card fight before the main event fights. The middleweight division bout between number three ranked Jared Cannonier and fourth ranked Derek Brunson. Brunson is coming to this fight as the underdog but has a solid five fight win streak under his belt and hasn't lost since 2019. Last year he beat the upcoming name Kevin Holland with an unanimous decision and gave a strong statement to the UFC that he still had it in him after suffering losses to division stars Izzy Anderson Silva and Robert Whittaker in previous years. 
He declared that he wasn't going to stay there as a gatekeeper for the upcoming fighters. And fairly soon after Holland fight, he defeated English Darren Till in the third round by submission. This will be a real test for the veteran, but he's been in deep waters before and he can stand there with the best of them. But how well he copes with Cannoneer's power, we will get an answer to in just a couple of hours once the octagon door closes in Toyota Center, Houston. Cannoneer as well comes to this fight with a win, but hasn't seen as much action in the octagon as Brunson during the past few years. Last year, he only fought once and won that fight against Kelvin Gastelum by unanimous decision. And in 2020, he only recorded one fight to his name when he lost to number one challenger Robert Whittaker in October 2020. How much this affects the outcome of this fight since after Cannonier dropped down the weight class? He has seen his stock rising again, but is his longevity good enough? And does he have what it takes to take on the big names of this weight class to challenge for the title in a few years? It really is going to be interesting to see how much he has evolved since his last fight and if the infrequent fight scheduling is going to hurt him in this fight against a seasoned veteran who will put you through hell if you are not prepared to go to war with them. Brunson has the hot hand here. And that's exactly why this fight is hard to call beforehand. But because I was pretty bullish on Cannoneer's success earlier, I feel like he has evolved to another level from his previous fight and will give the first L to Brunson since coloring his hair blonde in 2019. Second round TKO win for Cannoneer in this fight is my prediction. Expect an entertaining bout between these two. And this fight should bring you closer to your screen before we head to real head-hunting match in the heavyweight division. The co-main event will feature two extremely entertaining fighters as the current KO leader in the UFC, number 3 ranked Derek the Black Beast Lewis, takes on 11th ranked Australian Tai Bam Bam Tuivasa in the big boys club. We all know what Black Beast brings to this fight, so we don't have to pay too much attention to that. So let's check out what Bam Bam has accomplished during the past couple of years. One of the more active fighters in the division has racked up four consecutive wins to his belt, and all of them have come by stoppages before the full time, so we can expect heavy exchanges in this fight as well. Tuivasa beat towering Stefan Struve at the end of 2020, which started his climb to the top 10 of the heavyweight division. And after that, he KO'd upcoming Harry Hunsucker in 49 seconds, laid out Greg Hardy with clean fashion in the first round, and earned another performance of the night bonus after knocking the dust off of Augusta Sakai's shelves. But as a reminder, I need to advise him to keep his head on a swivel, and feet moving if he wants to remain victorious since Lewis will, without a shadow of a doubt, punch his jaw to the back of his head if Bam Bam gives one chance for Beast to do so, because all it takes is just that one chance. There's just that much power. And even though Tuivasa has been outstanding in his recent fights, once again, just like in Enganu's fight, 
I need to back the power factor in this fight since you just can ignore the one punch knockout threat. And even though Tuivasa also has that, there is still a real difference between these two. And the only guy that has been able to beat Black Beast in past three years is Cyril Gane. So I just can't turn my eyes off of that fact. And I'm going to anticipate a KO victory for the Beast in the early first round. Tuivasa hasn't felt this kind of presence yet. And even though I'm a huge fan of his game. Now though it seems as he's taken a bit too big of a bite to chew. And it will eventually backfire. He's been very impressive. But Black Beast is just a demon inside the octagon. Who will eat his soul this weekend. But now we move to our main event. The middleweight rematch between two Oceanics. The champion Israel, the last style bender Adesanya. And the number one contender Robert the Reaper Whitaker. I am very much looking forward to this fight and so should you. Two of the toughest cats in the division will face up against each other again and both in the middle of a major reconstruction process. Since Whitaker has bounced back very nicely after his previous defeat to Izzy in 2019, while Adesanya took home convincing victory over Marvin Vettori in June 2021 after suffering his first professional loss in the light heavyweight division to former champ Jan Blahovic just a few months earlier. Isi is a one-of-a-kind fighter and has really become one of the most dominant fighters in the sport, despite his loss to Jan in 2021. There really hasn't been anyone who's been able to challenge him in the middleweight division so far, and he has reminded me of Anderson Silva during his time as the division champ. This though will be another chest for his legacy, and now that he's dipped his toes in the light heavyweight division, we have to wait and see what his next move will be after this title defense. Whittier, on the other hand, is on a three-fight win streak after convincing victories over Darren Till and Jared Cannonier in 2020, and his latest win over Kelvin Castellum really convinced me to believe that he was going to be the only one deserving of a chance to try to grab the belt from the hands of the last style bender. He has worked even more on his wrestling and his stand-up game has always been top-notch. But as he said in the pre-fight press conference, he realized how hard it was to hit Izzy in the octagon. And now he has had his sights in that belt for many years and has worked on himself to maximize the chance of claiming that. So it will be interesting to see what kind of a game plan he has mapped out for this huge fight. He saw that Izzy had some weaknesses in the ground game against Jan, but on the other hand, Vettori wasn't even able to get a sniff of Izzy, not to mention his woeful takedown attempts. So he isn't the only one that has worked on his weaknesses before this fight. Izzy is still the elusive counterpuncher who has a threatening toolbox of different skills, so one thing will be that he needs to thoroughly go through that toolbox and anticipated what's coming next on every counter, and as a fact, that's a hard task to accomplish. Also, they are not fighting in the smaller cage in Las Vegas, which would help Whitaker, but more so they are in Izzy's soil, 
where the octagon is big and he has room to move which makes it almost impossible to make contact with him. So with all those facts on the table, I just need to bow down once again and clearly state the obvious since Izzy is eventually going to win this fight and I don't expect similar outcome to their last match but more so for the fight to go full 5 rounds until Izzy gets crowned as the undisputed champion. That is going to be my prediction. Whitaker has come a long way since his last loss to Izzy but so has the champ and I just don't see any other ending to this fight. Even how much I would love to see the Reaper to claim the belt back from this style bender. Unanimous decision and we will march on to see what he has in store for us next for the future. So in conclusion, Ken Nonier, second round TKO, Lewis with the first round KO and Izzy will take down the Reaper by decision and that will close the book on the UFC front this week. Exciting card up ahead once again and remember to enjoy this card because there are going to be some fireworks on display even before the main attraction so remember to tune in early to not miss out on the more under the radar fights which usually surprise us in the best possible way. But now we move to our main attraction the UEFA Champions League knockout stages where we have 16 teams remaining in the competition but in just four weeks that amount will be decreased to eight so let's head to see what do the matchups actually look like. Next week we will have four pairs going at each other and the matchups for the first week are Sporting Lisbon versus Manchester City, Inter Milan versus Liverpool, Red Bull Salzburg versus Bayern München and lastly the highly anticipated bout between Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. While the remaining matchups for the second week are Chelsea versus Lille, Villarreal versus Juventus, Benfica versus Ajax and finally Atletico Madrid versus Manchester United. Already with the first glance you should be able to point out few teams that are going to cruise their way to the quarterfinals but we will still touch upon all the matchups at least in quick fashion. We will start with the most obvious ones since there isn't too much to speculate about and slowly make our way to the more thrilling battles between the giants of the European football. So let's get at it. When it comes to first week's matches, Manchester City and Bayern München are pretty much home runs when it comes to their chances of making it to the next round. And pretty much the only weakening factor for at least Bayern is that their number one goalie Manuel Neuer will be out for the next four to six weeks after undergoing knee surgery. But with that squad it shouldn't be much of a challenge even with their backup goalie Sven Ulrich. So I wouldn't sweat too much about it if I was a Bayern fan at this point. Lisbon was probably punching walls after the round of 16 draw since they already made it out of the group stages and beat the German giant Dortmund only to face most likely the most dominant squad of the current day in the first knockout stage. I don't see any chance for them to grab a winning ticket to the next round but at least we get to see another Portuguese team in the so-called playoffs besides Benfica. And by the way 
I'm not going to give any aggregate predictions this time around since this year UEFA introduced the rule change where there are no away goals involved so the results will only depend on the actual outcomes of the two legs. But yeah, back to the rest of the first week's games. Inter Milan will face up against Liverpool in their elimination games and even how much I would like them to advance to the next round. Just like Sporting, I just can't see any way for them to make it to the next round. Give the form that the pool is currently having. Very similar to City, but just a tiny bit less dominant. They got the roster intact and don't have any major injuries, so you can pretty much bet your house on pool to make it to the next round. Inter is certainly going to give them a fight, but their current schedule is just looking pretty rough. Where they have four very demanding games in two weeks, one against Roma this week and Napoli next week before the home game against Pool. So we'll see if their last match will end in a blowout because they have to try to rotate their squad in order to give them any fighting chance against the English side. But eventually, as I said, Pool will move on and there's no any doubt about it. And they can probably start to focus on their next games in the BPL already after the first leg. The last first week match is between Real Madrid and the PSG and it is going to be one of the more anticipated matchups in the round of 16. The setting is loaded with drama where Sergio Ramos will return to Santiago Bernabeu to face his former club and also Kylian Mbappe might be facing his next team so there's already tensions even before the teams have stepped onto the grass for the first time. Real is on top of the Spanish league, but they as well have a tough matchup coming up against Villarreal in La Liga, while Vinicius Jr. and Karim Benzema are still recovering from their injuries, while PSG dismantled Lille in their last match with a score of 5 to nothing. Both Benzema and Vinicius should be fit for their class and the two sides will most certainly entertain us with some great football. Last year PSG went all the way to the finals while Real got knocked out against last year's champions Chelsea in the semi-finals so they will try to advance to their later stages of the competition while PSG is still looking for their first Champions League victory of their history. Real has the experience in the midfield which will be a crucial part in this matchup, while PSG holds one of the best rosters in the current era. And you also can't forget that Lionel Messi is going up against his former bitter rival, so he will as well have something to say when it comes to the outcome of this bout. But even how big of a Los Blancos fan I am, I need to admit that it's going to be a tough battle to beat the French Giants since, like I said, they have a world-class squad on display and Real's game has fluctuated as of late, so this time I just gotta go with the PSG and say that they will eventually advance from this matchup, but with a very small difference. Carlo Angelotti is also facing his former club, but this time I believe that PSG will take this one and Real will focus on the domestic league for the rest of the season. 
I would gladly take the W from this one. And there always is the uncertainty when talking about PSG and European competitions in the same context. But unfortunately, I don't believe that they will falter under pressure and will continue their journey towards the final if they manage to advance from their next matchup. So PSG will continue from this pair. And then next week we have the rest of the round of 16 matchups where we have more competitive pairs compared to first week's clashes, if you ask me. Chelsea is the only no-doubter to advance without too much hassle against Lille, but Villarreal versus Juve, Atletico versus United and Benfica versus Ajax will be entertaining matchups without a shadow of a doubt. Villarreal, last year's Europa League champs, beat Atalanta to advance to the round of 16, but from this point on, the matchups won't favor them whatsoever. And they certainly will challenge the old lady, but with their most recent additions in the January transfer window and very strong form suggests that the Yellow Submarine are going to face a major challenge next week when they clash up against each other in Estadio de la Queramica. Allegri's Juventus has picked up the pace as of late and are currently cruising, which suggests to me that even though Villarreal will force them to dig for their wins, they are eventually going to claim victorious and march on to the quarterfinals with their current form. Their defense has solidified from past fall and the midfield is fairly stacked without forgetting their top-tier attack. It's going to be a defensive battle for Villarreal if they want to keep a clean sheet against the Italian giant. So in conclusion, Juve will advance and if this game would have been played during autumn, the setting would have been different. But with their most recent signings, I just can't see the old lady letting this thing slip away. But there is still a small chance for the Spaniards to surprise us. But I emphasize a very small one. On to the next one. Next on our list, we have Atletico Madrid and Manchester United. And when I said competitive matchups, in this case, I mean so discombobulated that I have no clue what kind of an ending we are going to have with these two. Atletico has struggled through the entire season and are miles away from the top spots in La Liga, while United has begun to struggle right before Solskjaer left Manchester, and the team is still trying to find its foothold under their new manager, Ralf Ragnick, and his playstyle. United's offense has struggled immensely related to expectations, but if there's anything to go by when it comes to history between Cristiano Ronaldo and Atletico, you can count on him to scorch his former rival club in those next two games. Especially as their netminder Jan Oblak has been nowhere near his top level and center-back combo of Mario Hermoso and Jose Maria Jimenez has looked like a Swiss cheese at times in their back end. Their team is currently lacking direction and it's miserable to see that as they hold world-class striking force which hasn't been used to its full extent because of lack of strategical enforcement. Both teams have very solid squads, but 
are in dire need of direction so hopefully Manu will be the one to correct its course and use this matchup as a stepping stone to get their game back together with two solid games but I gotta admit that it hasn't looked that way in their previous few games. So as I said this could go either way and the winner will be the team that is able to put their things in order to some extent but also could end up being one of those matchups which will be resolved in the second leg and they get bounced right out of the competition after the round of 16. So a coin toss is the best prediction available for us and this time I'm going to rely on my bias and pick out Manchester United as the team that will advance. And finally we have our final matchup before we head to end this week's episode. And the last matchup will be more one-sided than the two previous ones. Since in this matchup we have a dumpster fire called Benfica going up against the flying Dutchman Ajax Amsterdam. Benfica is currently third in Liga Noche, but the whole team seems to be in shambles and their defense reminds of a retirement home with a backline of Almeida, Vertonghen, Otamendi and the most inconsistent fullback in the Champions League, Mr. Alejandro Grimaldo. They've been far from consistent team and the results have reflected that and I gotta say that if Ajax manhandles Benfica with similar precision as they did Sporting we have a tennis score in both legs let me tell you. Ajax is currently one of the hottest teams in Europe right now and it's running on all cylinders as we speak and pretty much their season totals in both Champions League and Eredivisie speak for themselves. First in the league in Eredivisie with 64 goals scored, 10 more than the second place PSV and only 5 goals conceded. Yes, 5 goals. The whole season until this point. That's 14 less than Feyenoord who has only conceded 19 goals this year. And by the way, first place in Group C which consisted of Sporting, Dortmund and Besiktas alongside them and their clear record of 6 wins, no losses and a goal difference of plus 15. You start to get what I'm preaching. It could end up being a cakewalk for these guys and quite frankly I'm willing to even say that it's eventually going to be exactly that. Sebastian Haller is the best striker in the game currently. Okay now I went too far. But seriously, he has reincarnated himself in Amsterdam and currently leads the whole Champions League in scoring with 10 goals. I have nothing else to say then. Good luck Benfica. You are in one this time. This isn't the team you wanted to end up facing and that's going to cost you the rest of the European season. Ajax will advance, no ifs or buts about it. And we will end this walkthrough with those words. And to conclude my picks for the teams advancing City, Bayern, Liverpool, PSG, Chelsea, United, Juventus and Ajax as the last team.
With United, I have my doubts, but when it comes to other teams on this list, you may take those to the bank if you please. But that wraps up today's episode, a bit shorter one this time around, but I feel like this won't bother you too much, because I can tell you that we have episodes coming up that are going to compensate for the shorter episodes that we've had so far. And also I think that it creates a nice change for the ordinary rhythm of plus 50 minutes of jargon about the NHL or the UFC in general. And of course we had to include this weekend's card because my favorite fighter is involved but the next big event is almost a month away so don't expect to hear a whole lot of nonsense on almost weekly basis. Or at least when it comes to the UFC because after all this whole thing consists of total nonsense so nothing should change whether we are talking about football, UFC or hockey. But that's pretty much all I have to say this week. Like I said, exciting things up ahead, so remember to put those notifications on so you don't miss the latest installments and leave a nice 5-star rating for the podcast so that we get people to notice this weekly circus. And as a matter of fact, the true fans that stay all the way to the end, yes, exactly you, buddy. I would ask you to send me a screenshot or a message if you rated the podcast and I will send you a direct thank you message to thank you for your considerate gesture. And I also promise to respond to you within, let's say, the next hour. And note, if you send the message during the night, you are an absolute asshole and I most certainly will end up missing that, but... I will figure out a way to make it up to you somehow, you have my word. But that's all for this week, I thank you once again for listening to my rambling and make sure to follow the podcast account on IG to get early notifications for the upcoming episodes. And the handle is the drop underscore pass. I'm signing off and as always, remember, stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time, all right.